Praise God. <laughs> uh, last night I got a phone call from AJ. And his uncle's very sick with cancer. And AJ said, can you meet me at the hospital? I'm not sure where he stands with the Lord. And uh, I just want some support. So we went up to the hospital and were able to find out that um, he had already talked to someone about where he stands with the Lord. And, of course, we talked to him for a few moments. And, you know, it made me think as I walked out the door. And I appreciate AJ's burden and his heart because he was thinking about his uncle. And he was thinking about the fact that death is probably not very far off. And the truth is the Bible tells us that life only comes in Jesus Christ. Life that lasts forever. May our hearts be that people don't even have to ask whether or not you have the life of Jesus in you. May it be our heart. Well, we are in the book of Revelation and we'll be for a couple of more weeks. Uh, when I finish this uh, series not too far off, uh, I guess we're going to carry on 4th of July. We'll have a message regarding our nation. Then after that, I want to start a message, a series on the church. Hopefully to take us to our spiritual renewal weekend. We'll be here in September. We'll never know. It was funny in Sunday school we were talking about, well, just who are we as the church? What is the church? But let's, let's get into Revelation this morning. Revelation 13, verses 13 through 15, as we look... At the signs and the message, the signs of that will appear through the false prophet. Revelation thirteen verses thirteen through fifteen, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Let's pray. Master, as we are brought face to face with your prophecy, Lord, of the end times which approach, Speak to us, God. Remind us of the beauty of our Savior, of our Lord, of our salvation that comes only in Him. And the power of your true word instead of the false word, Lord. Father, I I just ask that you speak far more than I could ever say. Holy Spirit, we continue to invite you to this worship hour, Lord. For without the Holy Spirit, we cannot worship you, Lord. For he gives us the gift to offer back to the one who deserves it, our hearts. So, Lord, we just ask, be here, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We live in an age in uh, cultural Christianity, popular modern church, where often we don't cling to the truths, the foundations of the truths, but look for ways to draw a crowd. 
J.I. Packer in his book on the Word of God described the church as a mirror to which if, if we look in the mirror, what will be seen, it wasn't so flattering. I want to share from his words. He writes, unlike the first century Christians who in three centuries reached the Roman world with the gospel and those later Christians who pioneered the Reformation and the Puritan Awakening and the Evangelical Revival and the great missionary movement, we today lack certainty. Certainty about the great issues of Christian faith and conduct is lacking all along the line. The outside observer sees us as staggering on from gimmick to gimmick and stunt to stunt like so many drunks in a fog. Not knowing at all where we are or which way we should be going. Preaching is hazy, heads are muddled, hearts fret, doubts drain strength, uncertainty paralyzes action. Why? It is because we lack certainty about the great issues of the Christian faith. And, and where do we find strength? Where do we find certainty? We find it in Christ. And this book, these scriptures lead to Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 5, I believe it's around verse 39, where he's talking to religious leaders. He said, you search these scriptures for eternal life. And yet these scriptures lead directly to me. For I am the source of that life. We live in a day where we say we're a people of the book. But it seems like fewer and fewer ever open the book. It sits more to collect family heirlooms than a book whose pages are opened and, and hungrily craved. I think of Psalm 119, 9 through 11, where the, the psalmist, you know, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, and that little section, verses 9 through 11, where it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? He says, by living according to your word, I, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what's he saying? He's saying, I seek you, Lord. Not, not just partially, but with all my heart. I don't want to stray from your commands. I don't want to treat you in a superficial manner. I want to love you fully. And, and how does he do that? He feasts upon God's truth, upon His Word. He hides it in, he, in His heart and He thinks upon that Word. And we've lost clarity because we've lost sight of God. It, we've, we've failed to hunger for this as God longs for us too in being relationship with Him. Remember the first great temptation in the Garden of Eden. The form... Of temptation that came was one of clarity. Where the serpent said, did God really say that? Are you sure that is what God really said? And then as we think of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ on his great temptation where the devil came to him. And once again, it was a matter of clarity. He tried to distort the words of scripture. And each time the temptation came, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has all power and authority, referred back to the scriptures. As he spoke to the enemy with power. As Paul spoke to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
All of us are very familiar with verses 16 and 17 that tells us all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And yet, if we come to the verse which precedes that, verse 15, Paul is giving this challenge to young Timothy. And he says, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He said, as you studied the scriptures, they led you to Christ. And that's always what happens with the book. We, we can look at the book, we don't understand everything, and, and we have our doubts. But Jesus said, hey, this leads to me. I am the source of life. And the battle we have today is, there are those who say, oh, Jesus is just one of the ways. Jesus is just one of the manifestations of God. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way of life. Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's very exclusive. Just a few years ago, at one of the inauguration events of President Obama, he had an evangelical Christian pray. And this caused quite a stir. And so in order to compensate and to appease those who did not like the idea of this evangelical Christian praying, he invited Gene Robinson to pray at another event who had been nominated to the high position of an Episcopal bishop in the Episcopal church. He stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and he prayed. His great distinction was he was the first homosexual priest in the Episcopal Church. In the telephone interview with the New York Times, he shared that he had been reading inaugural prayers of the past, and he was horrified at how specifically and aggressively Christian these prayers were. And then Robinson went on in the interview to reassure the public, I'm very clear that this will not be a Christian prayer and I will not be quoting scripture or anything like that. In other words, don't worry about hearing anything from this book. That will not be in my prayer. He concluded the interview by saying that he might address the prayer to the God of our many understandings. This is not clarity. This leads to confusion. The God of many understandings. No, as you really study this book, as you really seek God with all your heart, as you hide His Word in your heart, it leads you to Jesus Christ. Not to many roads, but to the one true road that brings salvation. And as we come to our text In Revelation 13, as we learn about this false prophet who has the the role, as I said, there's an unholy trinity. And his role is like in the trinity, the Holy Spirit doesn't give attention to himself. He points to Jesus. He always points to Jesus. And the false prophet always points to the beast, to the antichrist. 
And in verse 13 of chapter 13, we discover as, as we read about those who dwell on the earth. Um, in verse 12, excuse me, talks about those dwelling up the inhabitants who worship the first beast. Those were the ones who gave their heart not to the true Christ, but to the Antichrist who followed that false gospel. And as we read on in the scripture here, we will see how the work of this unholy trinity has led to many who follow him, who turn specifically to him, who look at all the other religions of the world and turn directly to this Antichrist. To this one who promises to be the Messiah. And they buy in. Brian McLaren from the Emergent Church movement. In one of his books he said that Jesus really had a secret message. Of course by the way it must not be secret or he would not have figured out what it was. But uh, McLaren writes that Jesus' secret message in word and deed, makes clear that the kingdom of God will be radically and scandalously inclusive. In other words, everyone will get into heaven. He goes on to write, he, he says, here's why it's a scandalous secret message. Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and every liberal Protestant who never bought into the idea of a literal resurrection or a literal hell or, or sufficient atonement at the cross of Jesus Christ alone. He even goes on the end of the article. He says, even atheists will get in. They'll be kicking and screaming and fussing and fighting, but they're going to get on in. Man, this classic message is, it's filling our culture. And the sufficient message of atonement that comes only through the way of the cross and the perfect work of Jesus Christ is just one message of many. But that's not the message of the scriptures. In 2009, at the National Prayer Breakfast, Tony Blair, the leader of Britain, spoke. And his message seemed to point to that bumper sticker that just says, Coexist. You know, everybody just worship together in a message of pluralism and universalism. And here's part of his message. He said, there are a million good deeds done every day by people of faith. What inspires such people? Ritual or doctrine or their finer points of theology? No, it's the unconditional nature of God's love. In other words, God loves everyone regardless of what they believe about him. All roads lead to God. Right? And he goes on and he gives this heart-touching example. He says, I remember my first spiritual awakening. I was ten years old. My father had suffered a serious stroke. My mother, to keep some sense of normality in the crisis, sent me to school. My teacher nailed and prayed with me. My father was a militant atheist. Before we prayed, I told her, I'm afraid my father does not believe in God. That doesn't matter, my teacher replied. God believes in him. He loves him without demanding love in return. In other words, you can deny the existence of God and not love him, but you are still in no danger of anything but love. But that's not what the scripture teaches Contrary to that message, there is something from which we must be saved. 
And it's our sin. We are a broken people separated from God and we desperately need a Savior. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, we read that God declares to all people everywhere they must repent. That there will be a judgment according to righteousness. Peter would write, he said, it's by God's word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. That's Second Peter 3, 7. And then in the little book of Jude, we read about that there are those who are marked out for condemnation. Why? Why will they be condemned? Because they deny the only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Blair went on in his message to talk about this coexist, this universalism, by saying essentially all the prophets of every religion said the same thing and moved the same direction. He quoted from Hindu writings and Buddhist writings on moral platitudes and sounded a lot like the golden rule, what he said. <laughs> However, Blair ended, the global community is upon us in two its steps, religious faith will go. You know, it's a message of we're really all just one anyway, and we all really just believe the same thing. This is setting the stage for the Antichrist. For the message of a, a, a one world government, a, a ruler that will take charge, a, a false messiah that will fool many, where many will be condemned. Where those will be, they'll be turning from, the, the Muslims turning from Muhammad. The Hindus will say, who cares about Krishna? The Mormons will say, it doesn't matter about Joseph Smith. And they'll all point to this new Messiah. As their hearts will be fooled. Now, I, I want to look at the scripture this morning. We've looked at his partnership and we've looked at his passion. And this morning, we want to look at his performance according to the scripture. So look at me and with me. Don't look at me. Look with me. That's much better, isn't it? I don't want to. Yeah, okay. Back to the text. <laughs> um, verse 13. And he performed great and miraculous signs. It is interesting. Uh, this is the same terminology that is used. In the book of Acts chapter 5 verse 12. Where we are told that the apostles. Did many signs and wonders. Among the people. It's, it's that same terminology. And he says here. Great signs. This is more than a, a, a faith healer. Healing high blood pressure. Bad knees. Arthritis. Or bad credit. This goes beyond that and as we look in the scripture, let's look at these signs and we get a picture of part of those great signs, as the text tells us, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Now I confess one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is a prophet named Elijah. And of course, this idea of fire coming down from heaven made me immediately think of Elijah. If you remember the account, there were all these false prophets of Baal. And they stood on one side saying, our God is the true God. And then you had 
little old Elijah over here. And he watched all those false prophets go crazy trying to bring down fire from heaven to their sacrifice. Then Elijah prepared his sacrifice, dumped water all over it. So it was definitely wet. And then he prayed. And it says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, not only licked it dry, but consumed the sacrifice. This false prophet, though, there's no mention here of him even praying. It's, it's not a requirement as we think of faith healers today. You know, if it doesn't work, they just say, well, he just didn't have enough faith. She just didn't believe strong enough for me to be able to do my job. There's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of faith. It was just a demonstration of this miraculous work of fire that fell. The tense of the verb is dramatic. It actually means it was an habitual practice. This wasn't a one-time event. It gives the picture that wherever he went, man, fire might fall. I might not want to be too close. As the fire would fall. I mean, who could argue with that? Who would defy him? I mean, you know, you don't want to become a one of those roasted marshmallows that uh, before you blow it out. And it... Matter of fact, the, the picture here of fire, maybe it was even a deception. It made me think in Acts 2. Remember when they spoke and the Spirit of God fell. They spoke and said with tongues of fire. It was a deception where they listened with every word and they soaked in every message that was spoken from this false prophet. And yet he was not drawing people to worship him. He was drawing people to the beast, to the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, we're told, The one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. You see, the world wanted a united religion, a one world government, but they did not want the one message that's found in the scriptures of the Bible, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go on in verse 14. We read, and because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was given power to give. Who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. They will follow that lie. They will follow him as the true leader. It's interesting here in verse, you know, we've seen the the fire, the great sign of fire that came down. Then we see another interesting sign that would catch their attention is there's this image. There's this idol of the beast. <laughs> and it says that he was given power to give breath to the image. Of the first beast. The word here that's using is pneuma. That, that talks about when God gave life to man. He gave him breath. 
And so there are some commentators that say, well, what's really being said here is he just looked like he was breathing. But that's not where the text stops. Where it says it gave him breath. Notice the the word says that he spoke. It goes on to say that this idol spoke so that it could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. It's very likely this image will be set up in the Holy of Holies, in the place of God that was sacred and that is holy. He will be the type of ruler like in the days of Nebuchadnezzar where you you were thrown into the fiery furnace. This time there'll be no fiery furnace, but there'll be an everlasting horror. Now, I come back to today, to this time that we live in. It is so critical. It is so important to not distort the message of the gospel. There are many messages, but there's only one message. That's true. And and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gave this warning in Acts 20, 29. He says, watch out for the wolves in sheep's clothing. They are going to rise up from among you. They'll look like you and sound like you, but they will only want to draw people away after themselves. They don't care about the sheep. They don't care about the church. They don't care about the truth. You see, whatever downplays or discredits or denigrates the authority of the Word of God. Watch out! Watch out! It says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Blinded. Back to Brian McLaren, I'll quote him a couple of times. He co-authored a book with Tony Campolo. The purpose of the book was to denigrate a number of truths held sacred in many churches. Where he talks about old-fashioned ideas that miss the point now. He writes, the theology that has the implicit threat of being left behind... Time running out is used by some preachers to great evangelistic effect. To the contrary, the history of the world is infused with the presence of God who's guiding the world toward becoming the kind of world God willed for it to be when it was created. Human history is going somewhere wonderful. But when you get in the book, it talks about a coming judgment. It, it, it talks about a day of great suffering as we go through this book of Revelation. Not a world that's just continually improving and getting better and becoming some type of wonderful utopia. It's like the guy that fell off the roof of a ten-story building and as he passed the third floor, he said, this isn't so bad. But the ground's coming! Right? <laughs> And the judgment is coming. And there is nothing worse than to miss God's Savior. (laughs) Than to miss His hope that He provides. A number of years ago, there was an ad campaign I heard about that was launched in England. The poster boy of the campaign was Richard Dawkins. 
you know, the famous atheist and professor. They purchased 800 billboards in England. And on the billboards, they had this advertisement. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoying your life. Well, some poor atheist is without a job. What happened? Well, saying there's probably no God is just saying there probably is a God. And so out of this, this this propaganda, this slogan, this ad was taken to the universities. Bible studies were started. And there were many who came to Christ as they dealt with this question. Is there a God? Has, Has this obviously backfired? You see, in the human heart, man, we know we've blown it. We know that we got a problem. Just like the mischievous child. You know, it wouldn't work to get in trouble where they thought, well, mom and dad are probably gone. I don't think they'll come back. Yeah, they will. Probably the switch. Um, it wouldn't work to say, well, go ahead and leave work early. Your boss won't find out. He won't come back to the office. Or, go ahead and cheat on that test. I don't think the teacher will ever really know about it or show back up or, Go ahead and steal that item out of the store. There are no cameras that are cut on. They won't catch you. Probably no God. Stop worrying and enjoy your life. We often quote Hebrews 4.12, Word of God living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates into fighting joy, uh, Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The next verse, verse 13, says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. He's watching! God sees it all. God sees it all. May God restore our hearts to Him. And give us a hunger for his book. I want to close with uh, this. Been passing around many emails, but I thought it was really cute. What if we treated our Bibles like we treat our cell phones? What if we carried it around in our purses or pockets? What if we dashed back home if we forgot it? What if we flipped through it several times a day? What if we used it to receive text messages? What if we treated it like we couldn't live without it? What if we gave it to kids as gifts? What if we used it when we traveled? What if it became our GPS system of direction when we traveled? What if we used it in case of an emergency? Unlike our cell phones, we never have to worry about being disconnected. Amen. It has service anywhere on the planet. The only difference, the only difference in this analogy would be that when you came to church, we would not tell you to turn it off. <laughs> We'd tell you, turn it on! Now I'll add this, when you leave, don't turn it off. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word and this warning, Father, of what is coming. Father, your word tells us that the church will meet you before this occurs. But Father, 
There are those who will suffer and have a chance to turn to you, Father, that will go through that tribulation period. Father, I pray that you move among us to remind us, Father, of what's real, Lord. Father, that there's a a judgment coming. We need a Savior, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us where the church at Kingsway does not just sit in a pew, but the church at Kingsway is all over the community. Just letting people know you are that one way, Lord. We need you. Father, I don't know how you have spoken or what you want of your people this morning, but Holy Spirit, we invite you to move to an altar that's open where people may need to come and pray before you. To make a decision right where we stand and sing or to come to the front, Father, to share with your people or to pray uh, here, Father, with your servant. I just pray, Father, that you would work because we need you, Lord. Father, we're not believing in a false God, a false prophet or a beast. We're believing in Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has not found the Savior, Jesus Christ, that this might be the moment (laughs) to bow the heart and say, I need you, Lord. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Save me. Enter my life. Make me a new person. Oh, how precious that would be, God. If that's what you want to do, do it today in someone's life. We need you. (laughs) Be glorified. In Christ's name we pray.